Welcome to the curiosity of a VC dog. No, as a child. Oh yes, um, sorry. <clears throat> we can talk about pirates this episode because every 19th of September is International Dog Like a Pirate's Day, which has since 2002 become one of the planet's preeminent celebrations. Now, living on a small island between France and England, our history has been heavily linked with pirates at different times. Um, so for us, I think it's important that we celebrate Talk Like a Pirate Day. I think even at school you dress up, don't you, as pirates sometimes? <laughs> You'll learn what that means later. Yeah, so you're going to teach some pirate lingo, aren't you? Mm-hmm. This episode, we're going to dive deep into the Asian depths of time to uncover several pirate tales. One from Roman times and another one from the uh, medieval period where they actually uh, visit Guernsey and the Channel Islands in that story. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's not from the golden age of piracy. So we thought we'd take a little different tact here and uh, introduce some different characters. Yeah. And I think you're also going to look at a few um, unknown things about pirates, aren't you? Which people might not always... Uh, pirate myths. Pirate myths, yeah. Or pirate myths and pirate truths that people might not believe. Mm. Did you know that not all pirates talk like pirates? Seriously, so you mean all that time I spent practicing in front of the mirror for this episode has been wasted? <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> pirates sound a little bit like rougher farmers, and this accent probably came from Robert Newton playing Long John Silver and Blackbeard in the 1950s. Here's a video. Arr, what? <laughs> Ah, love letters, eh? <laughs> so you can hear the classic pirate accent here, can't you? Mm -hmm. But it was actually just um, Robert Thingy's accent. Mr Newton was a West Country native and adapted his accent into what we think pirates sound like today. Yeah, that's right. And um, you're going to teach me a little bit of pirate lingo now, aren't you? Mm-hmm. So we're actually going to go to uh, talklikeapirate.com, the official website of Talk Like a Pirate Day. And uh, yeah, here we go. So what can you teach me? Um, so the first one, mm -hmm. what do you think ahoy means? I'll give do, you a hint. Do you mean ahoy? Yeah, ahoy. Um, hello. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't check, doesn't it? It does, yes. What do you think I means? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what do you think I means? Ah! <laughs> yeah. That sounds like a dog in pain. Um, arr. Do you mean arr? Arr? No, I mean I. I'm gonna sleep. <laughs> um, it means yes. Oh, do you mean I? Yeah. I. Yeah, I can't do that. You need a bit more arr in the throats. You need a bit more Irish. You are just a little cabin boy. And I. <laughs> Aye aye. Do you mean aye aye? Yeah, aye um, aye. <laughs> does that mean something like yes, Captain, or I'll get straight to it? Yeah. <laughs> and. Ah! Not ah! But ah! Does every pirate word start with ah sounds by any chance? I guess. So ah could be I'm in pain. Um, <laughs> it could be I've lost my leg and I need a wooden one. Or I've lost my hand and I need a hook. Is that right? <laughs> no, it means yes, or I agree, or happy. Okay, any other words you can teach me, or phrases, or anything? Um, so, are you a lamb lover? A lamb lover? <laughs> no, a land lover. Oh, you mean a, a land lover? Yeah. 
Um, I don't know what one is. So um, no, I'm I. going to say <laughs> yes. What is it? A landlubber. It's an insult. Oh, thank you. Okay, do I have to bleep this out then? <laughs> yep. You dirty little lamblubber. Beep. <laughs> you should have beeped it. Hang on. Oh. Beep it when I say. You okay. dirty little lamblubber. That'll do. Right. Anyway, so now we've got a bit of lyrate. Li- now we've got a bit of pirate lingo under our belt. Um, should we get the time machine ready so we can go uh, talk to them? Mm-hmm. We haven't used it in a while, so I think I need to do a bit of dusting. Okay, thank you very much. And let's head back, first of all, to 75 BCE, please. Who do you think we're going to visit? I'm not sure. Cavemen. That's cavemen in 75 BCE. Obvious. Oh, 75. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it could be cavemen. Nope, we are going to go see a 25-year-old Julius Caesar. Okay. And now he's been captured by Sicilian pirates. And now uh, these chaps, these pirates, they're not really how you think of the classical pirates. Although they are classical pirates. <laughs> and they dominated the Mediterranean from about 200 BCE to 66 BCE, when Pompey the Great finally dealt with them. Let's bring in the time machine carefully and see what's going on, shall we? Thank you. Good landing. We squashed a butterfly when we stopped him. Uh-oh. Uh, now, if there's one thing that pirates are known for, it's their charismatic captains, isn't it? Like Blackbeard and Redbeard and Bluebeard mm-hmm. and Pinkbeard and Greenbeard and... Baldbeard. Baldbeard, yeah. That's me. <laughs> but it seems that in this case, it was a young Julius Caesar who himself became the charismatic leader mm. of sorts. <laughs> now, at the time, he was just a young nobleman and um, he'd been kidnapped by the pirates, and they planned to ransom him for 20 talons of silver. I don't know how much that is, but I think it's probably quite a lot. Yeah. Uh, But Caesar laughed at this and uh, demanded that they demand 50 talons for him. I mean, did they not know who he was? He was the future great Julius Caesar. Now, whilst waiting for this ransom to be collected, Caesar settled down on board with the pirates, and he joined in all of their games and their exercises. And he gave speeches to them and he read out poetry that he'd been writing. And he wasn't really acting like your typical hostage. He seems to be enjoying himself a little bit too much. And, you know, he's a natural-born leader. And um, he spoke downly to them, kind of ordering them around. And he'd shush them when he wanted to uh, go to sleep. And he'd make sure that things were done his way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but... A bit like me, then. A bit like you, yeah, yeah, right. And um, they actually kind of grew to have a bit of a... Uh, respect for one another and they respected him because I don't think he was necessarily being horrible to them he was just incredibly charismatic okay but perhaps he wasn't enjoying himself as much as he appeared because he said that once the ransom had been paid off he was gonna come back and hunt them down and have them all crucified (laughs) (laughs) and uh, I think the pirates they kind of thought he was joking a little bit because uh, they, they didn't actually expect him to do that as he was their captive um, and they probably thought it was a little bit odd and eccentric. Yeah. And uh, after 38 days, the, the ransom was paid off, and the pirates were no doubt pleased with the bumper hoard of booty that they had at the end of this, kind of 50 whole tons of gold. <gasps> Shortly after Caesar was released, he managed to raise a fleet, even though he didn't have any military command or anything, um, and he set out in search of the pirates, and he found them still on the island camp where the, uh, he had been held. Mm-hmm. 
and it was now uh, time for him to make them his captives. The preconcept of, of Asia, Marcus Junius, wanted to sell the pirates as slaves and not crucify them. But this didn't actually stop Caesar going ahead anyway. But because he had got on so well with them, he very kindly decided to slit their throats before crucifying them to spare them the pain. That's nice. Oh, yeah, really nice, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's our first little story there of uh, Julius Caesar and the pirates. <laughs> so what do you think? I mean... Awesome! Julius Caesar is the man, I think. I love him. And he's incredible. But before we head off to meet our second pirate today, we're going to just look at a few facts or things that people may believe about pirates that are true or things that people might not realise are true about pirates. Mm-hmm. So you may think of pirates as rough and kind of <laughs> fighters, but they actually had lots and lots of rules to stick by. For example, they had to vote for their captain. <laughs> Um, and everybody would get a vote to choose their captain. But if they didn't like that captain, they could take him down from his spot and vote for a different one. OK, yes, yeah, so it wasn't like there was one big strong man no. kind of in charge, so they actually uh, all had a say in, in the pirate election. Mm-hmm. OK, so it's quite democratic for its time, it seems, actually, doesn't it? They also had a healthcare system. Really? Yeah. So if you had an injury... Um, You'd be given money to uh, kind of help you, yeah, to, I guess. To compensate. Um, yeah. For example, if you lost your right arm, you'd be given 600 pieces of eight. But if you lost your left arm, that was worth 500 pieces of eight. OK, that's amazing. So that's actually pretty forward thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so this was during the golden age of piracy in the, what was it, the 1600s and 1700s. Um, so that was r- so forward looking for them. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. Did you know that treasure or booty um, the pirates found were distributed fairly according to skill and duty? <laughs> okay, so it wasn't just the greedy captain grabbing all of it then? No. Yeah, so it seems that maybe life aboard a pirate ship at those times, you could see why people might want to do that. Um, and if you're ashore and you're a farmer <laughs> rather than a pirate, um, you could get kind of a much fairer kind of society you'd be living in. Mm-hmm. Hmm, very interesting. There were also lots of uh, female pirates, weren't there, as mm-hmm. well? Because um, they didn't seem to have a problem with class or race or gender. Daddy, have you ever found pirate treasure? No, I haven't, but I did dig up lots of beaches when I was your age, um, but I found nothing. Although, I have bought all these pirate maps. <laughs> pirates didn't bury their treasure. It was shared out to the crew or spent. What, seriously? So I've wasted all my money? Mm-hmm. Okay. You wasted all your treasure. Because you kept it all to yourself, you didn't share it out or spend it. You spend it on the wrong thing. I occasionally give you 50 pence a year. Oh, yeah. And did you know they didn't make people walk the plank either? They preferred keel hauling. And what's that? It's where they tie a rope to to somebody. Why are you laughing? (laughs) Um, And then they throw them um, overboard and then they kind of... They pull them underneath the boat, under the water, and then um, across all the barnacles in the ship and back up again. Ooh, that sounds really horrible. Mm-hmm. Really nice to see. We've heard some good things about pirates and some not-so-good things, haven't we? Yeah. Anyway, I think the time machine has managed to warm up again, so we should be ready for our next trip now. Are you ready? Mm-hmm. OK, strap yourself in, because we are going to 
the 1200s. And let's go for the English Channel, please. Where are island tamers? Very good. Okay. Oh, that's Guernsey. Can you guide us in? Whoa, 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 whoa. Okay. Just a bear. A bear? <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't know there were bears here. Okay, now our house hasn't been built yet, okay? And I don't think Granny's quite been born either. Ooh, must be close though. Definitely. Now, have you ever heard of Eustance the Black Monk? No. Neither had I until I started researching this, and uh, this is why I never got onto the Golden Age of Pirates, because I got so caught up with this chap's story. Now, he was a medieval mercenary, a naval commander, and a pirate, born near Boulogne in northern France. And he came from a minor noble family, trained as a knight. Okay. So he would have started off riding on pigs and using a wooden sword. Quite possibly, yeah. 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 Um, now, the history de Dux de Numandie said so he went to Spain where he actually studied the black art of necromancy. So, do you know what necromancy is? Um, like bringing people back from the dead. Magic. Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, it's magic of the dead. <laughs> it was said that no one would believe the marbles he accomplished, nor those which happened to him many times. It was also said that there's no equal to him in the black arts in all of France. There's actually lots of fantastical stories and events from the period, such as that he and his uh, colleagues, they made entire rivers appear when there's this entire village of people chasing him, because I think they had um, <clears throat> rather upset the villagers, and they're probably running after them with their pitchforks. And there's also stories um, that he can make people fart. <laughs> and we know quite a bit about farting from our flatulence episode, don't we? <laughs> Now, despite his military training when he was younger, he decided to become a Benedictine monk in the Abbot of Samar, where he was described by um, one of the sort of head monks there mm -hmm. as becoming demonic. <gasps> and he had a reputation for using bad language and getting other monks to either uh, fast when they should be eating and eat when they should be fasting and just general other misbehavior. And it's also said that he gambled away the entire monastery. <gasps> So it's not exactly the way that a monk is expected to pass their time, is it? Nope. After his death, there was actually um, kind of a book or a scroll or whatever it would have been back then written about him called The Romance of Eustance. And it's from here that many of these kind of more fantastical stories come. But it's a testament to kind of how important or well Nini was during that period, his influence and his notoriety. And they had such a story written because yeah. they were usually reserved for more important figures like kings or princes. Now the general vibe from the romance is that he was a pretty horrible person. So, not particularly nice, but it doesn't sound like a pirate yet, does he? No. But we are getting to that. Now, in 1190, his father was murdered and he seeked revenge. And he set up a duel between um, the accused, which was Hanfries de Heresinghen, and himself. But they didn't actually fight himself, they uh, nominated champions on their behalf. Eustace's, he, he lost, which means that Hanfries went free. But this led to a lot of bad blood between them. And it seems that the Black Monk, he went into hiding and he started to wage a bit of a guerrilla war. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot more tales from this time, and they're quite reminiscent of Robin Hood. 
I actually read somewhere that maybe he'd be one of the influences for the Robin Hood tales. Yeah. Um, but I don't know how supportive that is. But he would play lots of tricks on Hanfroy's from his woodland hideaway. And he'd go out and he'd capture um, some of his soldiers when they were searching for him. Mm -hmm. And he could disguise himself as a mackerel seller or once as a lady. Or he could even turn himself into a bird. Um, and he'd steal money and do all different things to basically play with Hanfroy's in the same way that you mm -hmm. have like Robin Hood playing with... Um, yeah. What's his name? The, the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the cruel stories also continued there as one day he caught a boy spying on him and he had him hung. As so often happened during this period, France was at war with England <laughs> and Hanfroy had allied himself to the French king. Uh, so Eustace, he decided to offer his services to King John of England. Now, you probably remember him from the Rich of the Lionheart's yeah. castle episode. Yeah. So this is that time, okay? This is that battle yeah. going on in the, during this period. Due to his naval experience, he was given command of 30 ships and they were tasked with raiding Normandy in northern France. Mm-hmm. And we've got a quote it's here. The Battle of Normandy. <laughs> John, very early in his reign, asserted the dominion of England over the sea by enacting that if any of the commanders of his fleets should meet with ships of a foreign nation at sea, the matters of which refused to strike the royal flag, such ships, if taken, would be deemed lawful prizes, even though they belonged to a state that was in amenity with England. Sounds a little bit like privateering there, doesn't it? Mm -hmm. That they're able to take the ships. King John tasked him with capturing the Channel Islands, which I think you're quite familiar with, aren't you? Mm. And uh, he performed an amphibious assault and uh, managed to clear the islands of the French. And it said that he took and seized Castle Cornet here in Guernsey. That's um, a tricky thing to do. Yeah, it wasn't like the size it is today. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't earlier. Mm, but it's on a, its own island at that time. Yeah. And he used that as one of his base of operations. Or other sources say it was Sark that he used. Eventually set up like a pirate headquarters there. <laughs> And uh, I actually tried to siege Castle Cornet myself this weekend because they've closed for the season and I wanted to go and see if there's anything about him there and I couldn't get in, but the walls were a bit big for me. <laughs> you tried to scramble up 500 million metre tall walls. Well, I looked at them and turned around and walked home. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not much of a, a seizure. Yeah, you definitely tried to break in. <laughs> yeah. But for Eustons, just raiding the French coast and uh, the shipping, that wasn't enough for him. So he wanted to take advantage of the chaos of war that was happening at the time. And uh, he set up his own pirate base and he attacked various merchant vessels of all nationalities up and down the English Channel. And it said that he might even have attacked towns all along the south coast of England. Mm -hmm. In the book, Outlaws of Medieval England, Maurice Keane writes that Eustace's name was enough to strike terror into the hearts of Channel seamen. <laughs> so he was getting a reputation for himself and also stated that um, kind of English parents of misbehaving children, <clears throat> Anton, um, they would say that Eustons would come and grab them and take them away. So he had really gone into fake law, almost like the boogeyman. <laughs> yeah. And as I said earlier, all the accounts that I have read of him basically stated he was a pretty horrible man. So that might be why some of the stories of black magic became attached to him. Mm-hmm. With Eustace attacking and raiding English towns, um, King John wasn't best pleased with him, so he outlawed Eustace. Um, and he took his wife hostage and then burned and killed his daughter. That's nice. Mm, yes. So it's safe to say that Eustace wasn't best pleased with this. And also back in France, his old enemies, like Hanfroy's, mm -hmm. he had actually fallen out with the French king, uh, Philip II, and allied himself with King John. 
So naturally, the black monk had to do the opposite and start supporting France. So they'd swap sides. This in turn led to a British attack on his pirate fortress in Sark, as they wanted to reclaim the land that he had taken. So it's important that the British controlled the Channel Islands, which is a good way of um, dictating power over mm -hmm. the English Channel. Philip II, he was planning an invasion of England and Eustace was kind of an instrumental part in that as probably the premier or greatest sea captain of his time. Mm -hmm. And so I guess this is where he's going to become a pirate. Well, he's already been a pirate, hasn't he, with the oh, raiding? Yeah. yeah. Um, now, Philip II, he was planning an invasion of England. So in 1204, Eustace became the king's admiral. Mm-hmm. Then his ships moved the French army, including Prince Louis, um, over the Channel to England, where they had a lot of initial successes and controlled large parts of the country. Yeah. Uh, but the English, we, we <laughs> they started um, fighting back. So they needed the French needed a relief fleet to bring across more supplies and soldiers and things. Yeah. So this was led by Eustace. So he set sail for British shores with this relief fleet, which, according to William Marshall, it was a pretty kick-ass night, by the way. <gasps> Have to cover him sometime. Um, Beep. <laughs> Beep. Sorry. Yeah, the army that he had was apparently large enough to conquer the entire realm. So this is make or break time. Eustace, the greatest naval captain of his age, was leading the fleet that would take England. But his ships, they were large and heavily laden and slow compared to the English ones, okay? Mm -hmm. So the story goes is that some of the English ships, they let the French sail past them and then they came out behind them and attacked them from the rear. And the smaller, more nimble British ships were able to get the upper hand in the battle. Yeah. Now you've got to imagine the battle here. It's not like they're firing cannons and things at each other. This is all about kind of volleys of arrows and crossbows and ships yeah. running, ramming into each other and barging one another and, and all sorts. And putting a plank across the ship so you can climb onto the other one. Exactly, yeah. They're knights on these ships going hand to hand with all their armour. So if you fall in, that's it, you're, you're gone. Yeah, because you'll get too rusty and you can't swim. And he'll be still just like too heavy as well. Yeah, and they get grappling hooks and they pull the ship together. Like a cool battle. Yeah, I mean, horrible, but it must be an amazing spectacle at the same time. Yeah, just what Eustace loves. You can imagine getting stuck in there. Then the English, they used quicklime. And if you throw that at somebody's eyes, it burns them and blinds them. So through the use of that, because they were upwind, so they were chucking that at the French fleet and they were able to gain the advantage. Then eventually Eustace's own ship was boarded and freeing for his life, he went down below deck and hid in the ship's bilge. But he was eventually found and dragged out onto the deck. Now he offered a 10,000 mark ransom, which is a lot of money, mm -hmm. uh, to have his life spared. But Richard Fitzjohn um, and the other English leaders saw him as a traitor and a pirate. Uh, so he was tied down and beheaded in one powerful blow by Stephen Crabb. <laughs> I guess he's good for crabs then. Because so you, you have to um, be good at chopping crabs crunchies. Maybe as a fisherman. <laughs> Here's on the boat. Yeah. Um, he just yeah. happened to be there. Yes. And he was one nearby who happened to have a sword. Um, yeah, so the French fleet was defeated and the invasion was halted. Then Eustace's head, it was put on a spike and paraded through Canterbury and then taken out all across the land so people actually knew mm -hmm. that the black monk, the scourge of so many, was dead. Mm -hmm. The romance of Eustace um, ends with this line. No one who is always intent on evil can live a long time. <laughs> Apparently the story told that he was going to have his death aboard a ship at sea. <gasps> Neither of those are your traditional pirate stories, but I thought 
Quite interesting. A bit of a local link in that second one as well. So. Yeah, I liked it. What do you think of the Black Monk then? Evil. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's interesting. I don't know quite how he got all of this reputation around him. Because I don't know if it was... Um, so I think the romance of Eustace was written about 60 years later. So I don't know if it's maybe some of his enemies kind of commissioned <laughs> yeah. that. But at the same time, for a lot of the story, he's tricking them and deceiving them and outsmarting them. Yeah. How uh, did they know that? Well, they don't know that, but that's what's been written there. So yeah. I, I don't know who would have commissioned that story. But he must have been so notorious during the age that he yeah. had this written about him. Um, so I think there's probably a lot more kind of piratey tales and things going on there than maybe uh, the, the histories have given us. Mm-hmm. So um, that is another episode on pirates. <laughs> that was very good. Thank you. So you found it interesting? Mm-hmm. Well, I hope our listeners found it interesting too. And if you did, why don't you review us on... Apple Podcasts. And Podchaser. That's right. We'd love some reviews there. Or follow us on Twitter. We're Fury Child Pods. And make sure you subscribe as well. And just spread the word generally. We've had a few more international listeners mm-hmm. recently, uh, which is super duper. And uh, we will be bringing you another episode soon, which will be our one year anniversary, I think. Yeah. So you have to think of something to uh, do for that, Anton. Episode 21, one year anniversary. Woo! <laughs> yeah, so thank you very much for listening. And um, take care, everybody. And we will chat to you again soon. Goodbye. Bye. Love you. (laughs) Love you too, Daddy. Who's the king? King Louis. Not King Louis. Who's the... Philip. Yeah.